no, I'm like Granny. My nanny. I'm like Granny. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this is Crystal Myth Podcast, but mostly I'm like Leslie's auntie. (laughs) (laughs) My auntie Mark. Hi, Mark. This is a strange start. Hi, my wee niece. I was going to say, this is the uh, most surreal and like low energy start we've ever had. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've both been, well, I don't know what you've been up to, but I've been ill. Uh, Why? At least one of us is ill at some point. Yeah, we're always ill, aren't we? I blame the Scottish weather. It's ridiculously hot. I can't fucking breathe. The windows are all open, but it's so humid. And then I feel like there's no air. And then it starts to rain. I'm like, oh, a bit of relief. But then because of the change in temperature, that's when I start to feel like I've, my lungs are filling up with liquids. And I'm like, I can't fucking breathe again. I mean, I'm okay today because I slept all, all, I basically just slept all day because I hadn't had much sleep because I'd been up coughing and stuff. And I don't know. You don't really need to know that audience, do you? you don't really, <laughs> why should you fucking care? I think you should anyway, care. Okay, yeah. you don't care. Well, if you're long-term listeners, you should care about us by now. If this is your first oh, episode, like... this, I'm going to say yeah. this before, but I think it's best to say, this is your first listen. This is probably a very strange intro, like, oh, cool, a podcast about mythology. And we're banging on about how we're all old and ill. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week, we're, we, we're doing Egypt part two, ancient Egypt part two. But Alexis we're not going to focus so much on the ancient Egyptian gods, although saying that some of what shall be talking about does link into them. But it's yeah, it's hard not to touch on them, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is because it basically is their whole like way of living is around their religion and their gods. I mean, that's why I'd say to you that I kind of looked at inanimate objects that you might have around the house because although we said we weren't going to look at the gods, I found it really interesting where it was like. Well, that's Spoons are a dedication to the gods. The ends of beds are a dedication to the gods. Like, are they? <laughs> yeah. There's a weird um, kind of god that that appears on hieroglyphics, and it just looks like um, a ghost with two eyes, or one Ooh. eye, or is it just a thing with two eyes? It doesn't have a a face or anything like that. It's say if you draw like a Pac-Man ghost, mm-hmm. and then a couple of eyes on it, and that's it doesn't have a mouth or a nose or anything and I think it's the sort of thing that just watches you judges you yeah like a judgy thing yeah (laughs) it's a bit like don't masturbate because Jesus is watching kind of thing I think that's what it is I don't really know don't be disorganized because the eyes are watching that's the other thing i found really interesting when I, I don't know why i started looking at inanimate objects and then couldn't stop but i was like yeah. i found it so interesting as well that because they were so obsessed with like precision and organization like i wouldn't have been very good in ancient egypt it turns out yeah. <laughs> i remember that because i'm the biggest procrastinator in the world <laughs> yeah they wanted everything to be organized because yeah. it was mm-hmm. I don't know everything was such a like duality like everything I was reading I was like oh it's all it's like everything has to be perfect and organized because that's what the gods would want but we also have to acknowledge that we are actually part of the natural world so hmm. everything has to contain like disorganized natural elements well, and... maybe it's because they relied on the floods of denial like they relied on the seasons and they went by the stars and that you can't really obviously the the, the weird the position of the constellations change over thousands of years so but if they're and, and the way the land is but they relied on the the denial flooding every season so that they would then 
go and get fertile land but while the flood was happening I think that's when they went and worked on other things like the pyramids and things or building shit and then once that was over with they would start working on the farms and like so it was very regimented it was all to do with timings yeah, there was. I'm not. I like. I'm not looking at my notes. I'm still folding, oh. washing. I was like, <laughs> that relates to something. Something I've got in my notes somewhere about why the. Were... I mean, it's just a video of mine. I'm not an expert. No, I think you're right because I, I was reading this thing by a historian called Paul Johnson, whose name I remember. So it's obviously in the notes of him, and he was saying a thing <laughs> that I can't now find because I actually don't <laughs> a lot of the things he was saying because it was really interesting. Yeah, great, great content there, Mark. It's brilliant. <laughs> I'll find it at some point. It was basically what you were saying, though, but like an expansion of that, like everything was based around like when I mean, X happened and when Y happened and how yeah. all the seasons were so specific. So hmm. it just made the, sense that everything was all about orderliness. and. Yeah, so when the flood didn't happen and they had a drought, then that caused absolute chaos towards the Egyptian civilization. And that's what part of the downfall was of how they eventually you know like broke down and then the macedonians took over uh because the flood didn't like for environmental changes or something like that the flood didn't come so it caused famine and things which but must I, have seemed to them like the gods were so angry with them because mm-hmm. of yeah, them being so like oh the gods yeah. make sure that everything happens like clockwork and that's why we have to mm-hmm. make sure it happens like clockwork so yeah yeah basically must have been quite upsetting. Also, the farming probably wasn't good either. But oh, well, they, they do have... I think well, I wouldn't like it if I was dying. I did find something interesting about that, about the whole, like, why things don't happen, like clockwork, or what, what would be their reason for, oh, shit, we don't know why this is happening. They, they actually do have a story about that. Um, called it's called the Book of Foth. Now Foth, as we know, if you watch American Gods, is like this, the he's the keeper of records. He's a god that invented writing and literature and stuff. So the Book of Foth contained all the knowledge of the gods, and it was nestled in the bottom of the Nile, which, like I said, floods every year, so it fertilizes the land, and then they've got like good, good harvest for the year. Um, and it's lot, and that book is locked in a series of boxes guarded by serpents many pharaohs tried to gain access to it during the rain but it was never opened so it's like i suppose the tree of knowledge or pandora's but i don't know something like that pandora's box and all that shit uh it was said that the knowledge in there was never meant to be possessed by mere mortals which they theorize helped the egyptians make sense of things they still couldn't quite understand like why is the flood not happening somewhere out there in the bottom of the nile lay all the answers but they couldn't reach it so the answers were there but it was unknowable because of it's locked in many boxes guarded by serpents so if you're like asking me a question and i think oh i don't know the answer to that you go off oh, fair enough you know there is a, a book in the middle of the Nile that probably would have the answer but you know it's understandable you don't know because you can't obtain that knowledge so you may as well forget about it I I, I don't know why I really like that yeah (laughs) so next time you're in class uh, Mark and one of your your students asks you a question you don't know the answer to just just say that well it's in a book under the Nile so I'm 100% going to say that (laughs) 
but I want to know more about these objects, so please do tell. Uh, oh, well, okay. Uh, so I basically started looking at exactly what we were talking about and how they were really into regularity and it was because of, again, exactly what you were just saying, like the regularity of the seasons and the regularity mm-hmm. of when the river would flood and when stars and, yeah. would dry back down and how the stars the moved sun. and the cycle of the sun and all these things. Yeah. So they thought that it was important for the gods for everything to be kept regular. Um, so then, <laughs> regular, like going to the toilet and taking a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> this is the least organized I've ever been. Oh, I'm sitting on my notes now. I was like, where have I put them? <laughs> yeah, again, if you're listening to this for the first time, we're not normally this guy. We're normally quite chaotic, but not this chaotic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then uh, I found this thing that was like, oh, they were so organized about everything. For example, even the design of spoons. And I was like, what? <laughs> why, why would they be yeah. organized about the design of spoons specifically? So um, why have I written this in two notepads? Because clearly, again, I would not be a good ancient Egyptian. Yeah, no, it's quite ironic that we're talking about being, yeah. being really organised. Being like, really organised when I'm the most disorganised ever. We would be cast from society. We'd be outcast so, when we mean you living in a fucking Oh, definitely. Hole. They'd be like, you can all the gods hate you. <laughs> yeah. So here it is. So it says, uh, when it came to yeah. um, craft workers, they were really important because even the shaping of an ordinary spoon had to be very specific. It was made in the form of a goddess because uh, all household objects, including this specific spoon, had religious meaning and purpose because all objects that you handle every day were viewed as a form of art. I like that. And a message directly to the gods. So, for example, this was the case for all of their utensils, but if we look specifically at the spoon... I love spoon. Egyptian spoons were always carved to look like a nude young girl swimming with her oh. arms stretched out and in her arms she was holding a water fill. I'm sure I've seen examples of that in the bottle collection or something. When I looked at it, like when I looked at an image of it, I was like, oh, I have seen that before. But I don't think it even occurred to me that it was a spoon. Oh, okay. Like I get that it's about the size of a spoon and they like do have larger versions. Movie. So like a ladle would have been made in the same way. So anything that was kind of vaguely spoon-like had to follow this specific design. It is um, like their their images as well on the walls. They all have to have the body facing forward, but the head facing to the side. It's kind of that weird perspective that they have. Yeah, like everything's very, this is exactly the way the gods want it. So again, like yeah. if it was a teaspoon, if it was a soup spoon, if it was a ladle, the size would vary, but it says almost without exception, they all had to follow this exact design because mm. this was a key part of the message. They were specifically, and using a spoon, you were specifically trying to commune with two gods. The nude girl is the sky goddess. Is it Newt? Yeah. Newt. Who's typically depicted in all images of her as uh, nude and with her limbs outstretched as though she's diving into water. Yeah, because she's trying because... to reach out to Gabe, who's the earth. Yes, so she's in this shape because she symbolises the shape of the Milky Way because they believed that the Milky Way was her, but her arms are outstretched because she's stretching out for Geb, the god of the earth, because she is his wife and he is her husband. 
And the reason that she's holding a waterfowl in her arms that is like the the bowl of the spoon, if you want, is because <laughs> Deb was often depicted as either a goose or having the head of a goose. <laughs> so it's not any old waterfowl. She has to be carved holding a goose in her arms. Right. And the reason for this is because when you use a spoon, when you mix, you lift it up when you're finished mixing. And if you're eating with it, you obviously lift it to your mouth. Mm-hmm. So in every act of using a spoon, the Egyptians wanted to represent Newt lifting Geb up so that he can be with her and view the celestial celestial realm. Wow. And that's so every time they make a spoon, they make a spoon so they can can show that form of respect to those two specific gods. I actually really love that, but it's very intense, isn't it? <laughs> it's, I was like, it's the, I think like, it's genuinely I... one of the most interesting things I've ever read, and it's about, about a spoon. spoon. I do like spoons. Maybe I, I've got uh, two boxes of coffee bean spoons um, from the like the nineteen twenties or something. They've got little coffee beans at the, the the end of like where the handle is. Nothing to do with like Egyptian gods or anything. Like, but I'm just thinking, you know, every time I make a cup of tea. Uh, if I was an ancient Egyptian, I would be like honouring Gavin Newt. Uh, that's just bizarre. Uh, I like that that it's I mean, like integrated into their society. It's just the thing seems... is as well, like by the reason the spoon had to look like that is because actually just by using a normal spoon, you're not honouring them. And even ah. the the colours and the inlays and stuff on it. So um, this was all in the same thing about the spoon that I read, but it said it's also interesting <laughs> to note that many of these spoons, if somebody was taken forward in time, would no longer have any significance, as oh. with many statues that we see um, that we would consider to be holy in museums in the West. The reason for this mm-hmm. is not because they've been removed from their tombs, which obviously does have yeah. issues, both like modern speaking and ancient speaking, but that because quite often by the time they're removed, they've actually faded. Some of the adornments are gone and the colours have faded. And the adornments yeah. and colours are part of the message to the gods. Oh. And they believe the gods wanted them to be so specific that if you had a carving in your home or in your tomb, you would want to keep the colours exactly as they were and not remove oh, any of the adornments. Okay. So any fragmentation from this means that part of the meaning has been lost. So you're no longer having a proper communication with the god. That is very, that is, that is harsh. Like, <laughs> Uh, you'd be absolutely gutted if like you wanted part of the color of go. You, you would have to get it fixed i presume or would that be it you'd have to get a new one made i don't know but that is really that is quite do you think that would be quite stressful you definitely would have to get a new one made because one of the other things that i found out is <laughs> some of the spoons that they had found have had like um, newt's head is gone that was the end of the spoon and they've had oh, it no. perfectly like basically the family that own the spoon have had mm-hmm. it perfectly recreated so that it exactly matches with the spec of the spoon and wow. just the head recreated with a special peg that they can then hold it in so that when it's in it looks identical to how it previously looked because otherwise they can't use the spoon anymore that is nuts <laughs> wow I, I'm I'm so fucking but then is it a way of keeping artisans in work like so because you have to be so specific and obviously things break that you go to your local spoon carver or whoever and that would keep them in a job because they would constantly have to like make or repair these spoons and other but objects. Then, 
the stuff I was reading, it seemed to be the case that it's not that these people were so important in Egyptian society because they like made that role important. It's that mm. again, it genuinely was considered not coming from any of the craftspeople. It was just it considered as a, a general rule in Egyptian society that like again, mm. everything had to follow these like really almost mathematical patterns. Therefore, that's why they were important in society because it's like, well, the only person that can make the spoon correctly is someone who's like they had apprenticeships where people would go and train for years to be able wow. to make spoons. That's so cool. <laughs> what other objects are there that are similar to that then? Again, because I'm not Egyptian, those are not in any order. So I'm just flicking right. through trying to find the. Doesn't really matter. Like again, Egyptians would ancient Egyptians would disapprove of this, but okay, <laughs> I find it's, it, it's, I find it's 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 kind your, of lovely that you're it's talking about. I start at the top of my first page, and at the end of the third page. <laughs> None of my notes are in order for shame. Uh, so <laughs> it's not just no, so this mentioned. I found this in another thing about the spoon, but I thought the bit I just read she was more interesting. But hmm. um, it was talking about the spoon, and it said it's not just um, this spoon that shows the fluid movement of the girl and the animal in her arms egyptian artists and craftspeople whatever possible followed the instructions to fashion specific objects to make them look more organic for example many columns uh, at the ends of beds or that held other things up were specifically carved to look either like papyrus plants yeah or like mm-hmm. lilies yeah i've seen uh, them in karnak temple they're, they're all very they're like, yeah, because it's not like the Roman columns or the Greek columns that are just like straight up and down columns with grooves. Egyptian columns are quite thick and they're there to be decorated and they've got like what looks like, yeah, papyrus at the top or lilies and, and they're really beautiful. Uh-huh. And again, if they don't have them on them, it's like an offence to the gods. It's not a proper uh-huh. column because it's not being carved yeah. properly. The, mm-hmm. They had different cups for different drinks. Wine cups had to be carved to look like a lotus flower. <laughs> yeah. If you had a mirror that was a handheld mirror, then the handle of it had to be carved to look like a papyrus stem with the mirror grown out of it. Wow. Okay. Uh, although ladles for food were the ones that we've already talked about, were like a, a larger version of the spoon. Uh, mm-hmm. ointment ladles were different an ointment ladle would always be carved in the shape of a boy bending down and holding a huge muscle shell on his head uh, and historians what? don't know who the boy is supposed to be so they don't know what god this represents or what story it's from but all ointment ladles are all carved in the shape of this boy leaning down with his spine bending like in because he's carrying this huge muscle shell on his head oh okay I've seen cosmetic spoons as well, but I can't remember what what's on those unless it's new again. Mm. Yeah, you know how we have spoons that you get with like pictures of places you've visited and things like yes. that. I think the decorative spoons, kind of, or whatever spoons would we have that would be ritualistic? Like, are there baptismal spoons? Yeah, it's like a. It's a so is, is that where like the bomb with a silver spoon in your mouth thing comes mm. from? Is there something to do with like a I silver spoon is like the best type of baptismal spoon or some sort of other religious? Well, I think as a traditional spoon. as a traditional gift for a new baby, you would always buy them a silver spoon and an egg cup. Well, that's what I got. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> 
maybe that was just you. No, I think you're right. I think it does come from, but I don't know what the, I don't actually know what the tradition is, but I think there is some religious tradition that it links to. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, traditional, like, that ended up in Christianity or our sort of religions, like modern religions now, stem from ancient Egypt, which, because I found, now this might interest you, Mark, in particular, since you studied this kind of thing, is that I was looking at different, what they called ancient Egyptian monsters or mythological creatures, and one of which, which I had heard of, but I didn't know about what I'm going to talk about, is the urea, which again sounds like, is that not a, a part of a penis? I don't know. No, it's a ureus. Sorry. I apologize. No, the ureus, right, like, not the ure- urethra. <laughs> urethra and urea, like urea, urethra is where. Urea is, is urethra, pit, is it not? Yeah, urethra is where the pee comes out, or like Thanks, what the pee Mark, travels through, and urea is. P, so yeah, anything yeah. with like your that starts with Urea okay. has some sort right. of link, at least in Latin to, Latin to piss. Well, the thing is, like most Egyptian names come from the Greek form of the Greek name for it. So a lot of them, like Isis, is just the Greek version of Aset, and they all have their ancient Egyptian actual like language names. So the Ureus or Iret, Iret, meaning reading cobra. And the picture that I'm looking at is depicted as a reading cobra with some banging milkers and uh, <laughs> wings. <laughs> yeah, like a sexy woman with uh, wings coming off its arms like Isis. Uh, it's, it's what the pharaohs, you tend to see if you think of, like, say, Nefertiti, the bust of Nefertiti. She's wearing, you know, that big kind of weird, I don't know, what flat-topped crown. Yes. And it's got at the front a snake coming out of it that's the urea um the ureus not the urea sorry i keep saying this i'm so offensive right right so the ureus is what the you'd find on the top of their crowns in front of their crowns it's also known as wadjet wadjet was a god that spat at people like it's protection basically so it's like if you come near me the the you the the snake in my crown will fucking shoot laser beams out it's like, i don't know or spit at you or something right, <laughs> right so it's one of the mythical creatures that represented the very royalty sovereignty and divine authority of the egyptian pharaohs the reading cobra it also symbolized as i said wadget an ancient egyptian deity also depicted as the cobra goddess and it was venerated as the protector of the river nile and lower egypt but similar to Wajet, the seemingly obscure goddess Nekbet, with her white vulture head, was honoured as the protector of Upper Egypt. So it, bef- way, way like in the beginning of ancient Egyptian civilization, the, the, the land was separated into two different fat, like sections, the north and the south, um, Upper Lower Egypt, as they would call it, or Kemet, or yeah. Uh, so th- that was one of the goddesses that represented uh, Upper Egypt. And by the time both Upper and Lower Egypt were united, around about 3000 BC, the symbols of the two protector deities were combined with the royal Uraeus encircling the double crown. So you often see double cobras, like it looks like there's one yes. on top of another. That's what they are basically. It's like Uraeus and Wadjet combined as one. So the element of symbolism associated with the Uraeus was also found 
and other ancient Egyptian art forms, including ornaments. See, there you go. They're ornaments you were talking about, yeah. worn by royal women and even in hieroglyphs. Moreover, there is now this is the interesting thing that I thought you would be in, you would like. There's a hypothesis in academic circles that relates how the motifs of the seraphim, or is it seraphim? Uh, the heavenly beings from the Abrahamic religions, such as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, were possibly ultimately derived from the iconography of the Uraeus in ancient Ooh. Egypt. Why would that be? What are the seraphim? Do they look like snakes? Um, I don't get that. Educate I always thought they were supposed to be like sort of, I mean, they look kind of, I think they're supposed to be like fluid or airy, which I suppose. Snakes are wiggly. <laughs> snakes are wiggly. Famously, snakes are wiggly. But is it to do with like protecting royal authority or something? Or is that like maybe you would see the seraphim? Are they like the little cherub boys, or is that different? I don't fucking know. Like what can angels do? Do the seraphim like surround God? Possibly, maybe that's what it is. Like they're protectors of like the gods and the pharaohs or they're they're kind of like angel things maybe divine protectors that's all they do well that was interesting they're kind of like godly guards i guess yeah like bodyguards i suppose yeah oh wait yeah so that's basically yeah well that, that was my point i'm saying like most things i think were taken from ancient egyptian religion and then changed like the sphinx for instance like had a different meaning in ancient egypt to what the greeks and the romans sphinxes were like they sort of take it and then changed it a little bit to fit their own i realized not to interrupt but uh, samuel the seducer was a seraphim before he fell and oh actually got an image of him in front of us because he's my profile picture before he fell he was a seraphim He's got Which lots again, of that. Like he's kind of almost like he looks sneak ups. Wispy. Yeah. Wispy and yeah. And he's got lots of wings, which is what the Uraeus had. Yeah. So maybe that's where the whole winged angels things come from, is the Egyptian Urea. Or Iret. Which makes sense because obviously like Yeah, and a lot of the gods had is just drawn on like lots of other religions from round about it, so well, yeah, and a lot of the goddesses in ancient Egypt, such as Isis and a few more, were also winged. Yeah. So there, there you go. Anyway, anything else you've got there? I don't know where to go next, because I've got a thing about the Boston Nefertiti. I've got a story about a snake. <laughs> and you were stuff about, about hieroglyphs. I've got scorpions as well, yeah. Well, I was doing scorpions, but uh, I found the thing about the Boston Nefertiti when I was looking at the objects, and then I found the mm. thing about the snake when I was looking at scorpions. Well, why don't we segue into the snake? Because the urea is basically a cobra. So if we link into that. Okay, I found this really cool story, which I think is very me. It's, it's my, you know, area of, of interest when we're doing this. So there's uh, an actual existing, like, text that's been translated from ancient Egypt that I've randomly found because it's not getting to do with scorpions, but when I was looking at the importance of scorpions. Uh, so it's one of the oldest texts that are n- known to be translated from ancient Egypt. And it's a story that links to the idea of there being like the margins of reality or the margins of the cosmos, which 
Oh, right. I and, get why you said that this is where you're thinking, because it's like, what was that place that we always talk about? Uh, the Axis Mundi. Yes, the Axis Mundi. Yeah, you know, I'm obsessed with the um, <laughs> the margins of reality. And so it get tells the story. Yeah. It tells the apparently true story of an ancient Egyptian government official who was shipwrecked in the Red Sea mm. and um, was washed up on a fabulous island what he described as a fabulous island of abundance Mm. Uh, he was there for several days when he was approached by an enormous snake so large that its movement caused commotion but the enormous snake had the head of a human wow that's a bit um disturbing (laughs) he knew straight away from its appearance that it was evidently a god although no god that he'd heard of being worshipped And on realising that he'd come face to face with the god, the man fainted in shock. He later found out, because the snake explained this to him, that the snake picked the man up and took him to a place of safety and allowed him to recover. That's nice. The man then recounted to the snake how all of his fellow voyagers must have been lost in the shipwreck and he was the only survivor. The snake said that he understood that that was why he was drawn to him, because they had a bond because uh, he once returned home many, many, many sunrises ago to find that his own family had all been burnt to ash by a shooting star that had crashed into them, leaving him completely alone in this place that he inhabited. Wow. The man eventually returned to ancient Egypt and explained that the reason that he got there is because he believed that this snake was a manifestation of the sun god his reasoning being that there were believed to have been 74 manifestations of the sun god at the beginning of reality 73 of whom were consumed in um, the fires of creation and the snake form of that god was known to live on away from the other gods and in a world beyond the existence of creation well I've Uh, never heard of it this is no, I've never heard of this either. Those that the man spoke to and those uh, that he worked with believed that the only way that this man could have encountered the snake, been in the shipwreck, encountered the snake and eventually woke up in his own bed, having no idea how he'd returned home, is because he had travelled outside of the confines of reality and time itself. So he wasn't just in a coma and had a mad dream? <laughs> well, no, because he was in a shipwreck. So he, like, he could have been in a coma if he'd like washed up somewhere and then being brought home but apparently he was washed up nobody found him and then just one so day he was genuinely found him. One day appeared in bed right yeah one okay. day his family like basically he woke up in his own bed his family were like how did you get back um, none of the other people that were on the voyage returned wow that's really that's and this is like how old this story i is mean it's like I don't know. I've not actually got a date on it. It just says that it's one of the oldest translated mm. texts from ancient Egyptian culture. So That's really, really old. interesting. But they're talking about a multiverse there. Yeah, effectively. So wow, I, okay. That's that's I, all I've got on it. Again, it was just when I was researching scorpions, I started reading that, and I was like, this has nothing to do with scorpions, but it's really interesting. Because <laughs> we're interested. Do you want to hear my yeah. uh, Nefertiti's bust story? I will come back. Is it about Nefertiti's bust, not about our 
her magnificent honkers, but about her actual bust that was made in uh, that's that's currently in the Berlin Museum. But there's a few of them that were right. Yeah. Okay. Please do. So. So. I thought I'd looked up the right bit of notes because I'd done a wee bit. <laughs> actually, I just randomly did that. Uh, so many people would have busts of an ancient Egypt would have busts of the ruler uh, mm-hmm. or the rulers displayed in their home. Uh, this showed like basically the importance of the rulers, and again they had to be carved and decorated in a specific way in order to actually be related to the rulers, because obviously the idea that like the pharaohs were so close to the gods that it was almost like having a godlike object in your house to have an object that represented them. Yeah, okay. However, often when a regime collapsed, there was a group called the Hammermen, <laughs> if we translate it into English, that were hired to wipe out the name of the previous rulers. Yeah, that often happens, especially with Hatshepsut, the female pharaoh. Her mm-hmm. son was so pissed off that she was like pharaoh for so long instead of him that uh, once she finally died and he took over, he had all her images wiped out because they believed obviously like there was a power in the names and memory so by wiping out every trace of her then she would never exist basically now person this is why i found this thing about the bus really interesting because i assumed from what you just said that Mm -hmm. that meant that they actually took and smashed the statues up but apparently they didn't and you're saying like the names the important thing that's what Mm. so uh, the model heads were often thrown out or uh, in quote marks killed whereby they would destroy them uh, or were literally just thrown in the rubbish mm-hmm. however this doesn't apply to all of them uh, some of them were altered in some way and then there is one of the most famous buses busts the bust of Nefertiti's head which we still have in such good condition minus the one eye because uh, yeah because when she was not in the palace, what do I want to say? I don't when know. She the, when she was in power? In power, thank you. When she was in power, it was uh, carved in the studios of the master bust manufacturer. However, for reasons unknown, this specific bust manufacturer's workshop was abandoned although he did have other workshops her bust was left on a shelf which Ah. archaeologists when they found it found the shelf had collapsed but when it collapsed the bust had fallen onto a soft pile of mud and rubble that's lucky (laughs) a distance enough from the wall that it was in no way damaged and that's why it's been kept so perfectly however although we Uh call it the bust of nefertiti it's technically not And the reason it's technically not is because of the other thing that was quite often done with these busts. So they believed that a completed statue would be correctly marked by carving its name, as you just said, Mm -hmm. in hieroglyphs onto the statue. At this point, the statue was then believed to have had its mouth opened. This meant that it no longer belonged to the sculptor. It was its own entity. Because that was an important ceremony called the opening of the mouth, where they would go to either, you know, like a bust of the god of the pharaoh, or oftentimes or, a statue of the gods, and they would yes. have this ceremony called the opening of the mouth. 
So um, yeah. when they had these ceremonies of the opening of the mouth, that would then mean that it was it was basically just an extension of the god or it was an extension of so the mm-hmm. actual busts that were considered busts of Nefertiti is because they were made in their image and then they'd had this opening of the mouth ceremony, yeah. which meant that it was then it's an extension beautiful. of her herself. And the reason that this was so important is because when Egyptians desired for religious and political reasons to destroy the life of the statue, they didn't necessarily have to smash it, have the hammer men smash it up or mutilate the features. What they could actually more easily do is chip the name off of the statue. Mm-hmm. Ramesses II did this with many statues. However, again, it's not that he actually destroyed them. He had the name chipped off. And then had his own name carved in hieroglyphs onto them and had a new right. opening of the mouth ceremony conducted, which meant that, for example, if you took a statue, a bust of Nefertiti that had had the opening of the mouth ceremony and then chipped the name off and then carved somebody else's name on, like, my name. <laughs> like your name, and had a new opening of the mouth ceremony, even though it looks like an exact replica image of Nefertiti, it would now actually be a bust of you and not her. Yeah. I understand. That's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I didn't really know that that really applied. So, the bust of Nefertiti, did it ever have her name carved on it? If it was no, so the bust of Nefertiti it because never, it was ready to go out, and then there was yeah. whatever happened to the that specific video happened. It never actually had. So again, although it is a bust of Nefertiti because it is her likeness. Mm-hmm. If an ancient Egyptian were to be brought forward in time and have this explained to them, they would say that it's not a bust in Nefertiti. And the reason yeah. it's not a bust in Nefertiti is because it's never had the open in the mouth ceremony. Therefore, it's just a random carving of a random woman and in no yeah. way can be thought of as a representation <laughs> of Nefertiti. And that's why it, only one of her eyes is done because he never finished the other eye. Yeah. That, right, yeah, he never finished that. Oh, that's so fascinating. It, it just goes that once again shows you how important ceremony and uh, was to and rituals was to the ancient Egyptians. And yeah. How symbols, everything has a symbol and a meaning to your like ordinary life, even to the smallest, so... lowest person, to the highest person in, in the society, as in the pharaoh. Everything had its little rituals. <laughs> it's really cool. Like it's so interesting, and it as you say, like it. <laughs> I get why it's being presented as like this is a confusing way for them to do things because it sort of is confusing, but it does actually make sense. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that. Plus, that you're not having... like if you've not named it as that, and I suppose it's like recycle. I don't know if you had like a Fraggle Rock doll, and then you did <laughs> the charity shop, and some wee kid bought it and was like, "This is my like Susie the Bug doll." Then it yeah. would be your Susie the Bug doll because if you'd removed all the labels, mm-hmm. Fraggle Rock has not existed for so long that it's. But she it's doesn't know what Fraggle Rock is. Also. Yeah. <laughs> like my baby Yoda thing, like Grogu, if like I happen to lock that way in a box, lock that in a box and bury it somewhere, and then like a thousand years time, if people are still around and they unearth that and say like there was a collapse of society and there was no internet, so they couldn't find out, like the media of Star Wars was lost and they opened up this thing and they're like, what well, the fuck is this? They would probably call it something else. They might even think it was a representation of a species or something. Yeah. <laughs> they would know that it was just part of a, a TV show <laughs> called The Mandalorian. They'd be like, what's this goblin looking thing? Let's just give it a name. 
Do you think it's like I a similar enough shape to like a bush baby that maybe they'd be like, oh, this must have been what bush babies looked like. Maybe. <laughs> like we assumed that they were covered in hair, but actually they were covered in like green leathery skin. But they wore a cute little coat with fur on it. I can feel like they might think it's sort of like a little sub. I'm imagining like, yeah, <laughs> in the future being like, we do not know if they were an intelligent subspecies or if their owners merely dressed them in these outfits <laughs> <laughs> to allow them to be part of the home. But bush like babies were very important to all of human society. <laughs> well, I've got um, I've got an interesting thing about uh, another one of ancient Egyptian mythological creatures. Uh, there's loads of them, but one of them is called Bess. Not Bess from the Happy Mondays, although <laughs> many of them will probably think he is some sort of weird monkey creature. But uh, Bess was a unique deity from ancient Egypt in the sense he didn't have any formal temple or form of worship dedicated to him so he's more like a house god like so he didn't have any temples outside of the home but it relates to what you were saying about objects because Mm -hmm. he was perceived and honoured as a guardian entity or a group of various obscure deities who protected the household from evil creatures such as snakes, spirits and that's the reason why he's so fucking hideous looking because he was so scary looking, like he was so ugly that it scared away mon- like other monsters. Reach <laughs> your phone to have a wee Google of Bez. Yeah, I have a Google of Bez. He's basically like a little squat man with a beard. Um, yeah, a monkey looking face and he's got massive tits. And he's like a little dwarf thing. And he wears a little thong. <laughs> he's got a bit, he's like, he's got a Buddha belly. And <laughs> a great, I like him. Yeah. So consequently, his I really like him. <laughs> so although he's kind of like ugly looking, he's he's actually quite benign. Um, he protects mothers, children, and particularly the process of childbirth. So they would have statues of Bez around people giving birth. The uniqueness of Bez also comes from the depictions of the deity, the entertaining, um, and like you say, objects. So he was depicted in items like mirrors, cups, ointment vessels, as opposed to the pristine figure and garb of, like, Newt. Bez was represented as a stocky dwarf with unkempt beard, lolling tongue, and unusually long arms. And sometimes he wore a lion mask. The physical attributes mirrored the aspects of Bez as a deity in these objects, with his goofy countenance was supposed to bring joy to his patrons. At the same time, his perceived hideousness, along with loud music, so they played music? What? <laughs> he played music? Or did they play music around him? Was supposed to drive away the evil spirits and demons. I like the idea not... that he's playing music, like yeah. he's just playing like, bad digital <laughs> music to be annoying, so that the demons are like, oh, no, I can't talk about this, I'm going somewhere else. Yeah, it's a bit like that time where we went to the cat house, and it was all drum and bass, <laughs> and everyone was driven out into the smoking area. <laughs> to escape it. That's what Bez is doing. Yeah, he, the, so the veneration of Bez later spread to the Phoenicians and even the Romans um, because they had Bez inside their legionary shields. So again, the, the spread of a lot of ancient Egyptian mythology did spread out into other cultures and Bez was one of them. And now he's in Happy Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays the Maracas, which is funny because that is music. And he might drive a lot of people away. 
And I feel like a lot of Happy Mondays music, like if you hear a, one of their songs once, it's like kind of relatively cheery background music. But I bet if you were listening to it and repeat, you would kill yourself. <laughs> but he was supposed to bring great joy to his patrons. And that's kind of what Bez from the Happy Mondays is. He's the dancer, isn't he? He's supposed to be the hype man to bring the joy. Yes. <laughs> and to bring he has the a joy and protect the pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and again, like yeah, the day he has in mirrors and things like that. So he's a bit of a an amusing character, but he also has significant meaning behind the the object. Um, the the Sphinx, which I mentioned, uh, which is like a a man with the head of like well a lion with the head of a lion. No, no, a man or often a ram. I've seen loads of ram sphinxes and where the, the um, temple of Karnak is, there's a mile long path called the, the um, I think it's just called the the procession of the sphinxes. And it's got like, you walk along from one temple to the other and it's loads of just on each side, different types of sphinxes with like some who have human heads, some have like ram heads. Um, they wear conceived more of a symbol rather than as an individual mythical creature so it was just symbolic it pertains to the famed great sphinx of giza which is the largest monolithic statue and the oldest known monumental sculptural piece on our planet i don't know is that right i didn't know that the, I mean, I have no reason to disbelieve that. To be yeah. the case, I just didn't know that. I mean, it is fucking massive. I've seen it is amazing, like how big that thing is, and also the the age. The, it is perceived to be a lot older than they thought because they found like they found water marks on it, which dated it even further to like a huge flood that happened globally, which they think might have originated the story of Noah's Ark. Yeah. Uh, and the so the. The Sphinx is portrayed with the body of a lion and the head of a human, falcon or ram. The hybrid mythological creatures were placed, again, as protectors of sanctuaries and pyramids, and hence why there's, like, the <clears throat> the loads of them um, between the two, uh, what are they called? <laughs> just dead right now. <laughs> the, the, um, the temples. Uh, they symbolically represent the divine power of both the pharaoh and Ra. Portrayals are in contrast to Greek mythology, where sphinxes are generally presented as whimsical monsters, offsprings of the, ter- the serpent Typhon, who zealously guard treasures, while physical depictions of Greek sphinxes bear some semblance to the ancient Egyptian counterparts, such as lion-bodied beasts. The former also tend to have wings and snake-like tails. Do you think because the Egyptian sphinxes were older and they were not meant to be real, but they were meant to be protective, that maybe like Greeks didn't understand what they were? Yeah. And thought they were based on literal monsters that protected something important, and that's where that came from. Yeah. And then I think that evolved into the idea of a dragon um, sitting on top of treasure. Yeah. See how these things evolve. I've also got Kepri, which, do you know what Kepri is? No. Kefri. He is the scarab beetle. Oh. Uh, connected to the scarab beetle. And he was one of the he's one of the rare Egyptian mythical creatures who was usually depicted as a human body with a beetle head in ancient Egyptian funerary papyri. Now you've seen Moon Knight? Yes. So he basically looks like 
What's his name in Midnight? The red. No. The, the sorry, the god that gives Midnight his powers, or the mm-hmm. woman that has the powers of the Scarab. No, 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 no. The god in Midnight, he's got the head of a bird, of like a bird, a skeletal bird. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kefri is basically he looks the same as him. He's fucking massive. He holds a a a rod or a staff, and instead of a human head, he's just got the head of a, a Scarab beetle with wings. So it's it's that weird. Uh, he That's- was. <laughs> he so the ancient Egyptians observed the scarab beetles or the dung beetles rolling dung across the desert. Now the the dung also contained the young beetles, like the larvae. So when they watched the beetle move this dung um <clears throat> ball of dung across the desert, they seen that the beetles emerged from inside the dung from the eggs laid by the parent. So it's related to the Egyptian word kefir, which roughly translates to to change or to create. So they seen the, the beetles as magical because they created themselves from a ball of dung. But they didn't realise it was just eggs that, that was laid in it. They just thought it, 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 it had magic properties to recreate itself. I mean, I like that idea better. I'm aware that's <laughs> clearly not what is happening, but I have any idea that that's what's happening. So Kefri was also considered subordinate to the more exalted sun god Ra, which on occasion translated to Kefri as one of the aspects of Ra. For example, Kefri was perceived as the personification of the morning sun, while Ra was seen as the more effluent midday sun. Uh, the people of ancient Egypt also regarded Kefri as one of the Egyptian gods or mythical creature of rebirth because the Egyptian believes beetles appeared out of nowhere and yet were able to procreate. So... He's connected to like the sun god Ra. Um, wrote, well, that's also a story where they think that the sun is moved across the sky by Kefri. But it's also that Ra is also the sun god. He sails across the sky in his boat, and that's why the sun moves. So I don't know. It depends maybe what era of Egyptian. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Egyptian like mythology. Kefri. Mm-hmm. Kefri's cool. Um, I'm a fan. What other monsters have I got that looked interesting? There's one called, and it look, it sounds like a Pokemon called Serpopard. And Serpopard. <laughs> now, can you guess what Serpopard? I think it sounds like a um, like character from a French farce. So I'm <laughs> going to guess the. <laughs> It's an elderly French woman that's skirt is too flowy and it quite often blows up over her head and she goes, ah! Oh, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> it's a mixture between serpent and leopard. Um, <laughs> which I thought that's was a real so it's a unique mythological creature of ancient Egypt. I've never seen this before. It's so fucking bizarre. It has the body of a leopard, the long neck of a serpent, and the head of a feline. <laughs> it's so weird looking. Look it up. Now in terms of how history, do you spell it? S E R P O P as in pop, and then E R D. Okay. Okay. So research. Yep, Still, yeah, they've not found the ancient term for these Egyptian monsters, so they've just probably named it Serpapard. It's not actually the Egyptian name. Some depictions found in various Egyptian ornaments, again, going back to your uh, uh, yeah, ornaments and inanimate objects, they have 
often interpreted as serpent-necked lions, usually presented as mythical creatures who have been conquered or tamed. The serpapard might have represented the chaos that was perceived to have existed beyond the borders of Egypt. So they're all, that would be us, Mark. <laughs> we are the serpapards. We are the serpapards. <laughs> we are, because we're so chaotic and they're very organised. Quite intriguingly, Serpapard or similar mythical creatures were also depicted by other ancient cultures, including Mesopotamia and Elam. However, their representations were different from Egyptian artworks. For example, the cylinder seal of Uruk clearly depicts two Serpapard-like creatures whose necks are intertwined, suggesting cooperation or symphys. That's weird how like different cultures, different civilizations have a similar thing, but slightly now, this different. This is going to sound mental, but what? are they just giraffes? I think that was considered, but Egyptians had never seen giraffes, so I don't know where that. That is an interesting point. I just feel like all all of the actual ancient <laughs> like carvings and prints and things that I'm looking at here, I'm like, that's a giraffe. That's a giraffe. The modern <laughs> ones that have been painted by modern artists, I'm like, that's some sort of weird beast. But all the ancient ones, I'm just like, that's a giraffe. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe a giraffe wandered into the, like someone's fucking town one day, and they were like, "Okay, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Let's call it a, a serpent, a leopard, I suppose." It would maybe people. Why the cat head? I, I don't get that. No, but kind of. I feel like I get the like leopard body, the snake neck, and then and then maybe they were just like, and its head wasn't a snake. Full description, draw that. Yeah, well, maybe they didn't understand like why they had the bumps on top of their head, so they just considered it a cat thing. I don't know, but a leopard seems quite aggressive for a giraffe head, but who fuck knows what's going through their heads. Well, I've got a couple of stories. Um, there's one which is, this is where they think that, you've probably heard of this before, they, they think maybe the, the, <clears throat> the story of Cinderella originated in ancient Egypt. No, I don't think no. I've heard that before. Well, there's a story in ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt called The Girl with the Rose Red Slippers. Um, and it was a tale of a Greek girl named Roth, Rhodopis who was sold into slavery in Egypt. A very kind man bought her. Well, I mean, she's still a slave. He didn't let her go. <laughs> and in turn, provided her with a home and showered her with beautiful gifts. One day, an eagle swooped down and stole one of her rose-red slippers. It was delivered to the pharaoh, Amasis. Now, I'm wondering if the eagle is a representative of Ra or Horus, because, you know, often they are, like, birds of prey. If, and he's seen this girl and thought, right, I'll help her out. Um, it was delivered to the pharaoh. Amasis asked to meet the owner of that slipper, so they went to try and find her. And the rest is history. The two fell so deeply in love that they even died on the same day, apparently. So that's like a Cinderella story of ancient Egypt there. Okay. There's another one called The Princess of Bekten about a god who saved a princess. I like that the gods are like, not like Zeus going around raping people, but they actually go around helping people and yeah. making their lives better in ancient Egypt. So the pharaoh was visiting someone called Nehern, collecting his annual tributes. Oh, no, maybe Nehern's a place. When the prince of Bekten presented him with his eldest daughter, 
The pharaoh accepted the princess and took her back to Egypt, making her the chief royal wife, which is nice because she's not just some fucking concubine that he's going to bang. She was named Ra Neferu, which again means like Ra and then pretty one. Years later, her sister Bent Reshet became ill. The prince of Bekten asked the pharaoh for help. He sent a physician but her illness was the work of an evil spirit. The pharaoh then went to the temple of Khonsu. Is that not the guy from Midnight? Khonsu? Yes. Right. So he asked Khonsu, the moon god, to help the lady and heal her. So Khonsu's like, ah, okay, I'll do that. And he confronted the evil spirit, immediately causing it to leave Bent Rochette. The prince, though, I don't know why he did this, he tried to keep the powerful Khonsu in Bekten, but after three years, he returned home. So he's like, fuck this guy. I, I kind of just don't want him to come back. <laughs> the prince felt ashamed for trying to keep the god there and then thanked him by sending many gifts and offerings. When the tribute arrived in Egypt, the pharaoh placed it at the foot of the statue of Khonsu in the Great Oh, no, no, wait, I've misinterpreted this. So the prince of the t- the place where the pharaoh sent Khonsu wanted to keep Khonsu there because he'd saved his daughter. So he thought, well, this country's useful. I'm going to try and keep him in this town and prevent him from going back to Egypt. I wonder if he did it via that. You know how they do that in the show where they yes, put him uh... in a little statue or something? I don't know. That's 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 it. <laughs> so eventually he felt guilty, so he let him go back to Egypt. And then, yeah, he sent more tributes and offerings to Khonsu. So I guess Khonsu's quite forgiven then. So he didn't, like, you know, he was like, okay, well, you let me go eventually and you gave me some gifts. So I wouldn't do anything bad to you. (laughs) Yeah, the Egyptian gods seem really cool. Apart from Set, who's supposed to be, like, the evil guy, the evil one. And speaking of monsters, there is the, the Set animal, it's called. I like the Set animal. I'd like to keep it as a pet. Look up the set animal, Mark, and you'll see what it looks like. So the set animal, or Sha, as it's known, was the totemic animal of the Egyptian god Set. It symbolised both the nature and cunning and chaos embodied by Set, who was often perceived as an antagonistic deity, a bit like Loki or something like that, with his domains ranging from eclipses and storms to thunders. However, beyond the attributes of Set, it was a very strange depiction of the Set animal that makes it fascinating. I need to pause you. Yeah? Do you remember when we were, like, a lot younger and one of my weird, like, supernatural experiences that I told you that I, like, was once walking home through the Westwoods and a bunch of weird sort of dog-like things, but they weren't dogs, were walking behind me at a bit of a distance. And every Mm -hmm. time I turned around, they would just, like, stop and stare at me. And I was it's speaking up. It was them. That that is an example wow. of what they looked like. That's fucking weird. So you're saying the, the set animals were following you? Yes. What the fuck? Yeah, because it's got like the head of an anteater and the body of a dog or wolf and a sort of forked tail, long forked tail, which again, like, looks quite like the devil would have a forked tail and stuff like that. And he's got like yes. erect ears. That's really weird. I wonder why they were following you then. Like, <laughs> okay. I mean, that honestly, that's so weird. I'm like, that's. I actually wasn't really paying any attention to anything you were saying there. Oh. I was just looking at it, going, "That's those things." 
Well, here what it, it, it might bring some closure. So scholars have argued that the set animal possibly represents a giraffe. Oh, that's weird. You were talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> Although ancient Egyptians seem to have differentiated between giraffes and this en enigmatic hybrid creature, and even more intriguing is the fact that in spite of its apparent fantastical nature, the Shah was usually depicted in a realistic manner, like actual creatures. Yeah, and they represent eclipses, storms, and thunders. Well, that's it. That's his act. Well, were you going through a bad time, or, or what, what was happening back then that might have caused these creatures to? Yeah, so we were just saying there that Set is probably your guardian god and you could be Set's avatar because weirdly, just before we like talking here, our recording cut off after I was talking about that. And our <laughs> so recording basically think... got off because you suggested reasons why Set might be looking over me and asked me which ones yeah. applied and then there's just was no there... sound or recording until the actual minute you stop talking about set at which point the recording kicked back in again that is so weird i hope it doesn't happen again uh sorry set <laughs> please, don't, please don't like put an eclipse over my head or something praise be thanks for sending your creatures to look after me yeah well there you go mark if you ever feel afraid or anything like that just call upon set and i'm sure he'll help you out He's probably protecting you right now, actually. So I should just shut up and stop talking about him. <laughs> Fuck. Right. Well, let's move on to scorpions. Let's end yes. the podcast on scorpions. Yeah, like a, a, the scorpion king and the rock, as depicted by the rock, and really, really, really shitty CGI is all I know about scorpions in Egypt. Were there scorpion soldiers? Or, no, I don't actually know the story. So you, you do tell. I shall. But as I was saying to you, when it turned out we weren't recording. Um, yeah. I do know from the, the bit of research I did that that's massively inaccurate because scorpions are related to like the female divine and female rulers ah. and things like that. So you couldn't have a scorpion king. You could have, have a scorpion, a scorpion queen, queen, but you couldn't right. have a scorpion king. That's interesting that scorpions are female. I like that. Some yeah. Or I so don't, I don't know. Uh, scorpions were more than an everyday hazard in ancient Egypt. Um, not only were they a danger to people moving about, but they embodied mm. the kind of like the leopard snake guy that you were talking about. Oh, yeah. They were an embodiment of the chaotic powers in the universe. Okay. And which actually kind of ties into everything we've been talking about the whole episode. Although ancient Egyptians had respect for them, they didn't like them as such because oh, they you? were chaotic powers, therefore their mere existence threatened the orderliness of the world and obviously ancient and Egyptians tried to have an ordered world. I like Japanese people really. <laughs> They're very orderly. I thought you meant like the rules. Japanese people are like scorpions. I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, Japanese people as a on the whole don't like chaos. Oh, and now I understand. Wasn't Scorpion from Mortal Kombat? Japanese. Yeah. There you I go. Think. Ten years link there. <laughs> I've walked it back and saved myself. So scorpions, right? They were seen as chaotic. They were seen as uh, disordered in the way they moved and the way they reacted because you could like <laughs> basically you could go over and like frighten a scorpion and it might not do anything, or you could like very gently move past a scorpion and it will like run over and attack you. Oh. Uh, they lived on the edges of society because 
the people of ancient Egypt found it fascinating that they very rarely came into the cities, even though they could defend themselves. They preferred to be out in the desert in the baking sun. And it was believed yeah. that if you were stung by a scorpion, this wasn't a medical thing. It was that you had been you're you'd been pierced in a way that exposed you to supernatural danger. What? So if you got stung by a scorpion, then my... so they're like literal what? embodiments of chaos. So to get stung by a scorpion means that the energy of chaos itself has ripped it's... a hole in you that has opened <laughs> the internal you up to chaos. That's horrible. How do you stop that? I mean, is there any cure for that? Or did he just leave you alone and think, well, he's fucked now. We just leave him to the chaos? So there were spells that ah, were related okay. to scorpions and relating to get rid of the chaos. So scorpions were still seen as important, despite the fact that they were like uh, chaotic beings, because if you were one of the women who was able to master scorpions, then... <laughs> This would be beneficial to the whole world, so it was like a great skill for a woman to have. I want to be a master scorpion. There was a literal scorpion king, but he wasn't believed to actually have the powers of a scorpion mm. or to be the embodiment of chaos. It was that his mother, much like one of the early kings who was called Snake, or the Egyptian word for snake, mm-hmm. he was literally called Scorpion because his mum was... Oh, a bit like Dracula being yes. son of Dracula, dra- dragon, son of a dragon. Yes, yeah, so she was like one of these people that was like a scorpion whisperer. She could um, scorpion control master. the chaos and she was mm. able to help people that had been stung by scorpions. So she called him scorpion, like a, a power name. Yeah. In the okay. same way that now like a um, like <laughs> sort of um, sexless biker might call himself scorpion to make himself feel harder. <laughs> she was doing it for actual cool reasons. Well, isn't there a character in The Simpsons called Snake? And he's, like, a criminal. He is. Yeah. And he seems like he's actually probably would be quite cool if he was alive in real life. Um, So, <gasps> any spells to do with the scorpion to try to draw out the venom, again, have to be related to one of these priestesses or to a goddess, because there are, apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, Leslie, because mm-hmm. I believe you more than this text that I've been reading, because <laughs> I know you're, like, up on your Egypt ancient Egypt. You. There were no gods that were accompanied by scorpions. And again, there were no scorpion gods. Scorpions are a very goddessly thing. Well, the thing is about the scorpions, the only legend I know about scorpions in, in Egyptology, uh, mythology, is that Isis, when she was on the run from Set, where she was protecting her young son Horus because Set was trying to kill him, uh, she hid in the reeds and Set sent some scorpions to sting Horus, I think he succeeded in, in Isis being a magical healer managed to heal her son but she was hiding in the reeds from these scorpions You're so that's right. the only thing I know and she managed to heal him and she then again that links to women managed to control the scorpions, scorpions which yeah. was it, sorry was it Set that sent yeah Set so Set couldn't control them because Set was male Mm-hmm. she could control them because she was a powerful woman she mm. calmed down their chaos right. um, and then carried on in her journey towards is it Shemet? Shemet? Shemet yeah um, where she was planning to raise Horus who Set would now believe was dead uh-huh. 
she was accompanied by the seven scorpions ah, she now right. had command she of them. Mm-hmm. because she tamed their chaos yeah however i say she tamed their chaos <laughs> as she approached the settlement a, a rich woman saw this strange pr- procession of an unusual looking woman or unusual looking child and seven large scorpions <laughs> and immediately <laughs> closed her door uh, however a fisherman's wife who was out at market saw isis and saw that her and her child needed help and she took her and the seven scorpions in as they slept that night the rich woman um was asleep in her bed and one of the seven scorpions still being chaotic but listening to isis in the waking hours decided to now i'm laughing because i like the weirdness <laughs> of this story decided to go to the rich woman's house it crept in through the window, watched her so sleeping, like and then in an act of revenge went into her son's room and stung oh. him. Then it set fire to her house. <laughs> the rich woman managed to get out of the house, but her son was unable to wake due to the sting. She mm. ran through the streets, wailing in anguish. Uh, at this point, Isis awoke and saw what was happening. She summoned a rainstorm to extinguish the fire, mm-hmm. and she then took pity on the woman's child it reminded her of her own son, Horace, who had just been also stung by the scorpions. So she used her powers to cure the child. Yeah, which is lovely. Even uh, the mother at once regretted having closed the door on Isis, realising that she shouldn't have turned it away. And with remorse and gratitude, she gave the possessions in her home that had not been destroyed to the fisherman's wife for taking Isis in as a thank you. And it's oh. basically the spell to get rid of the, to basically close the hole in you to chaos uh-huh. is that a magic woman has to tell, like basically read a verse of this story over the person who's been stung ah. because they believe that medical treatment will not stop the like chaos. the chaos hole. It would only the stop chaos. the effects of the a poison. A keyhole? A keyhole indeed. So you need the magic woman <laughs> who, can, who understands the chaos of scorpions to read an extract from the story of Isis and the scorpions in order to cure you of the chaos wow so next time i get if anyone gets stung by a scorpion you would have to go to your hospital and go no i know you've given me like medicine to deal with the sting but you still have to close the keyhole so please get a woman to read the ice story over me or just just get a woman to come and say (laughs) an ancient egyptian tongue that um a scorpion (laughs) once set fire to a rich woman's house and i'll be cured I like those scorpions because it does seem like, you know, if they were around today, they would set fire to the Houses of Parliament because that's where all the Tories are. Yeah, it's the setting fire that protects. I like <laughs> when I got to that bit in the story, I was like, right, I like the score. One of the scorpions just snuck off because it's like, no, I am still chaotic. And then I like that it proves it's chaotic by not only it doesn't attack the women, it tries to kill her child to upset her and then just sets fire to her house, which is just funny to think of a scorpion doing that. It's just an extra fuck you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like having one of your kind of wayward dogs escape uh, the garden and then it sort of like ruins, I don't know, or chews on your neighbour's sofa, but then it then sets fire at the house. <laughs> chews on your neighbour's sofa <laughs> and then puts its flag out on their curtains and sets them all <laughs> I think that was a lovely story to end the podcast on, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's choose the topic for next week. Oh, I thought of something that no, I shouldn't mention this now, but I was like, yeah, I definitely want to talk about 
this talk that this subject without having to pick it from the list but now i've completely fucking forgotten what it was (laughs) so why am i even talking about it it'll come to me later hopefully Um, when it comes to you can message me and i shall add it to the list okay but then i don't want it i want to immediately do it on the podcast rather than have it to wait okay in that case when it comes to you can message me and we'll do it not next week but the week after who knows right okay well let's pick a number what are the, the numbers that i'm picking between this time uh, I haven't reordered them yet, so we're technically still 1 to 30, but there's several gaps. But if we get a gap, I'll just go, well, I'll go the one after it. Yeah. Okay, so pick a number between 1 and 30 then. I'm going to go with number 8, the, the number of infinity. Okay, so that is one of the ones that's gone, but number 9 is uh, Unsolved Murders Part 2. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Oh, and also... When we were talking about Julian Sands, they found his remains, so his family have closure now. So, oh. um, yeah, if you didn't know, the actor Julian Sands went missing in some storms when he went out. I don't think he deliberately went out because it was a storm. He went out hiking and a storm came and something must have happened to him, maybe fell or I don't know. Went missing since January. Nobody knew where he was. And then some hikers found his body recently. So they know where he is. He, he's definitely not alive, unfortunately. That's sad, but I'm glad they at least know what's happened to they him. They found him, yeah. So that's a mystery that's been solved. So yeah, like, okay. Um, unsolved Murders Part 2. I mean, the first Unsolved murder- Murders was really popular, so hopefully this one will be the same. Everyone loves a murder mystery. They do. All right, well, thanks very much. And um, yeah, praise be to Set. And <laughs> may he protect you forever. Mark in particular. Or at least send his creatures to walk yeah. slightly behind you when you're walking home very late at night. Yeah, so don't be afraid of them. I would say I would interpret the creatures as being protective of you rather than stalking you, Mark. That's why that's how I would interpret it. I didn't think they were going to kill me. I was just a little bit freaked out because I genuinely had never seen them. Where. Because I was I like, they're not feel, gods, what are they? Yeah, I think you should feel blessed that they revealed themselves to you. Yeah. And that I think they are, I think, I genuinely think they're always there in the background, just in case. So, <laughs> on that note, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>